You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. This is Greg Stokes with my brother Doug. Today is October 20th, Friday, 2023. If my voice sounds a little raspy right now, it's because I was at the Saints game last night. We suffered, and Doug was as well too, and our older brother Pat. We suffered a pretty humiliating loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars, just showing up to be a, and turning out to be a pretty horrible team all around. Um, pretty disappointing. What did you think, Doug? Yeah, just embarrassing. I think what I was talking the guys I went to the game with, I was talking to them about how um, spoiled we were for 15 years with Drew Brees. And, uh, you know, it's a, it, the game is not fun to go to. The dome feels dead and empty. And so um, I was talking before the season started how new, how fun New Orleans is in the fall when the Saints are good. And so that sound, it seems like we're going to have to find something else to do <laughs> for the rest I, of the I year. Mean, in the first quarter, I think we had two turnovers and we got – six points off of it or something like that miss field goals they i don't know what we're doing it's just it's like we're listless and our uh, players are starting to get mad at each other it just seems like a horribly run team um it's you see these these other teams in the nfl that are successful there's one common denominator is that they have a uh, young quarterback or a, a qu- quarterbacks are are absolutely crucial in the nfl um I mean, look, we played the Texans last week. The They, they just drafted C.J. Stroud. He, he looks awesome. So I, I like the idea of personally that the Saint Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence looks, looks awesome. Looks awesome. They, yeah, I mean, it's just they, all these all these teams that tanked and got a uh, quarterback in the you know, top 10 pick quarterback. Uh, those are the teams that are at the top of the league now. So Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some, but yeah. Anyway, so that's what the Saints to, uh, need to do and stop trading. Yeah, yeah, stop trading away first round picks to get skill players and defensive ends and everything. Anyway, it's a it's a bummer. Um, but you're right, we were so spoiled with Breeze, and it's amazing. Like when when you have that good of a quarterback, they can mask all kinds of problems. Um, same thing. Uh, like for example, the fact that we had a horrible defense for so long didn't really matter because we had Breeze. Obviously, if we would have had a better defense, he probably would have, he probably would have gotten more than one Super Bowl. Um, but Sean Payton had this stellar reputation, um, and I think Breeze, just having an amazing quarterback in Breeze, um, really was a, a large reason for his success. As you can see in, in Denver, he looks pretty horrible. And you can make the same analogy with uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I mean, Belichick was had this sort of uh, vaunted status and, or vaulted status and and without um brady he's looked horrible as well too yeah i also think there's there's probably a youth movement at the coaching level too who are the, who are all the best coaches in the leagues it's guys that are a little bit more like creative mike McDaniel. more of a modern mike mcdaniel kyle shanahan so um there's probably some of that too i mean when belichick's been coaching in the nfl for 30 years um it's it's hard to be innovative, continuously innovative each year, and and I imagine that uh, just the the system is caught up, or the rest of the league's caught yeah. up to him. So um, enough about we can only talk about the Saints so much without um, upsetting ourselves any further. Um, but so we'll just shift shift to our normal uh, uh, market related discussion. Um, 
October 19th, 1987 was um, the uh, Black Mo- or Black Tuesday or Black Monday. I don't know what, which one of the black days it was, um, but there was a 22.6% drop in one single day. Um, it was the one of the wor- I think it was the worst single day in the market history or one of them. Um, coincidentally, this is a typically a seasonally good time of the year. You can't really subscribe to any sort of seasonality um, because anything can happen at any given point in time. And if you look at the worst single year, single days in market history, they've happened during these seasonably good periods of time. 1987, the market was down 22.6% in one day. December of 14th of 1914 was down 20%. 1929, um, down 13%. That was the the, uh, the start to the Great Depression. We had one of these really bad days in COVID. We had a series of these bad days. March 16th of 2020 was down 13% in one day. And March 12th of 2020, it was down 10%. So in that same week, we had basically a Black Monday. 2020, March of 2020 was just brutal. Um, Doug, do you, you have some memories of that uh, week? Yeah, there's a couple of weeks. Absolutely. I think one thing to take into context here is that we have this, it's the, uh, the chart that you put up here is the crash of 1987 is still the worst day ever. And it was a 508 point drop in the Dow, which was 22.8%. And so that means that the Dow was somewhere in the neighborhood of, of what, 2,800 at that, Mm -hmm. at that time. What's the Dow 33,000. <laughs> and so the the idea of uh, suffering a day like 1987 and saying, I can't handle this type of volatility anymore. I'm going to shift to something that's a little bit more protected in you know cash or bonds or whatever. And, uh, and then just not going back into the markets, just saying, look, I have to, uh, I have to go to some sort of safety because my stomach can't handle that type of volatility. You, you kind of get it. I mean, you, a 22% drop in your, your portfolio value in a day or in 35% in three weeks during March of 2020. Well, what are you giving up for that? You're giving up a, over that, uh, the, that 35 year period from 1987 to 2023, uh, greater than what is that a 12 times return, uh, in just the Dow. And so, and today, um, Doug, the Dow is down 141 points. It was down 500 points on that day. It's down 141 points today. And yeah, we're not even, and we're also not even talking about dividends. Yeah, that's just price appreciation. So what is the, what is the dividend growth been on top of that? So, uh, we're probably t- talking more like 15 to 20 times return on, on, uh, investment for people that stuck, stuck with it from 87 until yeah. today. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about 1987 is even through that one horrible day, the markets like recovered and had, they were actually positive on the year. So, and so the same thing, yeah, same with March yeah, of exactly, 2020, like right when the world was coming to an end in March of 2020, lo and behold, there was all kinds of like intervention from the government as a result of that, which was probably good. And from the standpoint of keeping the system functioning, but obviously we're kind of dealing with the aftermath from an inflationary standpoint and the fed, um, putting the brakes on the economy and everything. Um, but yeah, the, that, that particular period of time, our dad, uh, we were talking about it earlier this week, given that this is the anniversary. And he reflects back on that, that that was, you know, at the outset of his career and it was a crazy time and everything, but all of a sudden the markets bounced back very quickly. March of 2020, it was a very wild time, obviously. And six weeks later, essentially the markets were, um, back at square one. And then they were positive on that, that year. 
pretty crazy times. Um, it's been a very pretty, it's very, been a very choppy market lately. Um, the SP 500 is about 4,200, uh, right now, give or take the bond market has just been absolutely crazy. The yield on the 10 year bond, I don't know if it has uh, officially hit 5%, um, but it's teetering on, um, going, uh, at eclipsing 5% on the 10 year. Um, so that's sort of a psychological level for a lot of people because it hasn't been 5% in a long period of time. Um, but interesting times on the, on the, on the stock market side of the equation, it was uh, uh, Monday was, this is, I'm reading this from an individual that posted on Twitter. Monday, Monday was an 86% upside day, which offset Thursday's, last Thursday's 82% downside day, which offset last Tuesday's 83% upside day. Just all kinds of choppiness and volatility. The bond market, like we talked about, like I just talked about, has, um, had the, the yields have gone up, which means prices have gone down. And what that really means is that the relative effect of a further increases in rates is diminished just because we're starting from higher rates now. Um, but if, if we have a fall in rates on a relative basis, it could be pretty significant. And there's this, uh, this, this chart from Bloomberg that reflects that particular data point. Like, for example, if we have a, um, in, in for over the 12-month expected returns for a 30-year treasury, if rates uh, rise 50 basis points, it's only a expected negative return of 2.9%. But if rates fall uh, 50 basis points, it's a expected return of 13.2%. Uh, so if you think there's going to be any sort of decrease in rates, um, certainly you'd want to lock in rates. But it also there's a um, there's a, there seems to be more upside than downside on on the bond market. Yeah, I mean the the risk is just very asymmetric right now. Uh, to the positive where that hasn't been the case for uh, the last, at least the last decade. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, Vanguard total bond market index, total return annualized over the last 10 years, 0.83%. So uh, what we've experienced for really from uh, financial crisis to today is similar to what the S&P 500 experienced from 2000 to 2010, essentially a lost decade. However, this time the lost decade is in bonds, uh, and we know how that really translated for stocks. The after ten years of essentially no return, there was ten years of um, you know, fantastic return, and really what this what this chart is showing is that the the, the symmetry is to the upside in bonds now. Um, you know, in a for longer dated bonds, a half a percent or one and a half percent change in value up or down in the in the ten year treasury uh, has a dramatic positive Im impact on the upside versus a negative impact on the downside. Like a ten, a ten year treasury bond, if if rates change by a half percent uh, down, the the return is eight point three percent based upon this chart. And if they rise by a half percent, you still get a one percent return on uh, treasury. So right now. On the ten-year Treasury and a half a percentage point change uh, over the next twelve months, just based on where rates are now, the expectation is there there would still be positive return, whether the ten-year Treasury is four and a half percent twelve months from now or five and a half percent. So um, we've talked about this is probably week three or four in a, a row of a lot of bond talk, and I, I just think that uh, you know the in terms of one of those periods of time where uh, you. You start saying, "Look, this this makes uh, a lot of sense." I think right now, for conservative investor, bonds are 
incredibly attractive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean that rates can't rise further. I mean, I, I personally have been surprised that they've been chugging along on the long side because essentially that's a, the market's expectation of future inflation plus. Yeah, but they, they can rise further, but it's, it's still, you know, what, what, what's the impact to returns? It's, it's way less on the downside if rates rise than if rates fall. You get a, it's a huge major leverage to right. the upside. It, that that uh, piece of data excluded, I, you still think like you would think historically, the or not historically, but if you if you if you listen to what the Fed is saying, they're pretty adamant about getting inflation back to two percent, um, and they're going to be data dependent about that, meaning like they're going to basically hold rates high until we get back to two percent. So you would think that if in, if their real objective is to get to two percent, and you can buy a five percent. Ten-year Treasury, you—that seems like a good, good risk reward return, exclusive of the fact that, or over that period of time, you're still going to be clipping along at five percent. And if rates do increase, the the downside is much less than if rates decrease. Then, so it just seems like a a good investment. Um, but again, it's things like you. To your point, if, if rates do rise, you're you're not that exposed. Um, per this chart, so and I, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and take a uh, a bet that the the Fed is uh, is going to be done uh, raising rates. I mean, I think that's what the market is expecting too. But I I, I expected it earlier in the year. But um, this is from the Fed whisperer, who's uh, Nick Timorous at Wall Street Journal. He says the this strikes me as a notable shift from Powell. Indicators of wage growth show a gradual decline toward levels that would be consistent with 2% inflation over time, which is a quote from Powell. He doesn't mention core services, ex-housing, a proxy for concerns about wages sustaining at higher prices. And he says, there are very many signs that the labor market is getting more balanced. By so many measures, the labor market is gradually cooling. Powell's been saying all year that you know, one, of the, one of the concerns related to uh, inflation is just such a strong and tight labor market. And they're going to continue to raise rates and until there's some uh, some release of that pressure on on wages. And it, and it sounds like from communications from Powell this week that he's seeing that. And if that's the case, and then combine that with the fact that we've got major geopolitical risks out there with um, you know, Israel going to war with Hamas and still Russia and Ukraine battling it out, uh, it's hard to, from an economic perspective, say, okay, Wages are cooling. The labor market's cooling. There's war in Europe. There's war in the Middle East. And let's raise rates another 25 basis points when inflation's coming down. I just don't see the right. Doing and then that. On, not on, on top of that, the housing market and the real estate market is an absolute like like standstill right now. Um, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, mortgages hit eight percent for the first time since when 2007 or t maybe even before that this week, but. Um, the, I was listening to odd lots this morning on my way into work and it's a, uh, we'll link the, uh, latest, uh, uh, podcast from, which is a fantastic podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should, uh, but they had on, um, a real estate expert talking about the, the current 8% mortgage rates, the weighted average rate of homeowners right now in, uh, in America is 3.4%. On a, on a mortgage, according to this uh, this guy, and and so there's a huge spread between what people currently have as a, a mortgage outstanding and what the mortgage market looks like right now. What is that going to do? Well, all that's going to do is people are not going to list their house. People are not going to look for a house, and so you have 
inventories that are uh, completely uh, depleted right now in the housing market. This is from uh, Steve Harney. He said, active inventory levels are increasing in many parts of the country. However, they're still way below pre-pandemic, a.k.a. normal levels. Active listing counts, there's 700,000 active listings right now, uh, according to Realtor.com. It's about 50% below pre-pandemic. It is um, crazy. So it's just nobody, nobody's it, listing their house. Right. Why I mean, would you? like, I mean, unless you have to, unless you have, if we run into like a labor, like labor issue or whatever, and people have to sell because they can't afford their mortgage or whatever. But the problem is, is that if you try to find another mortgage or a rental or whatever, it's probably gonna be way more expensive than what you're paying right now. Um, Colin Roche had a like, and, and if you and if you're like, I, I have to move, uh, I mean, most people, if they can afford it, would rather just rent their house out. Uh, instead of listening in this market. And so there's, um, there, there's it's that. So, it, I mean, it, you, if you, you would have told me that rates would have mortgage rates would have gone to 8% and then ha- the ha- housing market wouldn't have had like a serious correction, I'd be surprised. Um, but that's basically what's transpired because there is no supply. Nobody's building houses because builders can't like sell houses either in this market because rates are crazy. Uh, there are some like, if you, there are some builders in, um, in Colorado and like a lot of these, we talked about the fact that despite the fact that mortgage rates are at that, you know, 20 year highs or whatever, they're, uh, the house builder stocks are pretty, or at least or a few weeks ago, were near, um, their all time highs, but they've been buying down mortgages basically allow and, and subsidizing, um, the interest rates so that people can buy them and make it more accessible. But that's, there's an economic cost to that obviously as well too. Um, the, the real, the commercial real estate market has suffered a little bit just because I guess, I wonder if there's more supply in commercial and there probably was just with the buildup, um, during the, um, low interest rate environment. Um, but commercial is still in a deep freeze. This is, uh, per Colin Roche, um, to celebrate 8% mortgages, let's check in on the U S U S real estate market. First, national prices, commercial and residential, at market weight, are down about 3%, which he says not bad. The impact has been highly asymmetric. Commercial is down 16%, and residential is actually up 1%. Commercial is deep freeze. Residential is frozen, but inventories and lack of forced sellers are holding up prices better. Looking at the underlying residential data more closely, after a brief respite earlier this year, it's all reverting back to the lows. Existing home sales are down 40%. The mortgage applica- application index is at 25-year lows. Like, imagine trying to get a mortgage in today's rate. You're just not doing it. Nobody's buying a house. Um, if you talk with home builders or contractors or whatever, there's just not a lot of action because, obviously, when people move, that begets work on their house. But people put in pools, et cetera. We talked about Pool Corp. Um, last quarter's report, their their permits are down like 40%. I'm sure that's accelerating. Um how do home builders feel? This is according to Housel. Again, after a brief respite earlier this year, the National Association of Home Builders Index reverted back towards the lows, close to 20-year lows. Um, and then per that particular podcast that you reference on Odd Lots, which I listened to yesterday, again, I also agree with you. That's one of the best, uh, if not the best, uh, business podcasts out there besides uh, Lanyap. Um, prevailing mortgage interest rates. <laughs> prevailing mortgage interest rates have not decoupled this much um, from outstanding in decades, the uh, you mentioned the effective rate for mortgages outstanding is in the threes, um, 3.4% per, per that uh, economist from Morgan Stanley, and the prevailing mortgage interest rate, which you can get on the market today, is at eight. 
Um, so people are just not going to people are going to hold these things for as long as they can um, because they're the concern. The concern is that there's always a uh, a small percentage of mortgages that are getting paid off each year. So the big refinancing wave took place in 2020 and 2021. Most of that was fixed for a term. Some of that was adjustable rate mortgages over five, seven, or 10 years. But the longer that interest rates stay at these levels, the more people will be either either paying off and looking for a new home or adjustable rates will adjust to current rates that were fixed for a period of time at you know three, two or three percent. And so the longer that we stay in this high interest rate environment, the more risk there is to the residential housing market. And so um, right now I was listening to a, a podcast uh, on commercial real estate and the guys were talking about survive to 25 and essentially it's all of these developers that were uh, doing construction of multifamily or whatever it is during 2021 and 2022 at low interest rates where they had interest rate caps on and, uh, and those caps expire. Those projects are getting built and looking at refi and, uh, and nobody wants to refi in this environment. And so they're trying to figure out ways to extend beyond 2024 because that market expects or is at least hopes that interest rates will be down in 2025, and uh, and so we'll see. But uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, the longer rates stay at current levels, whether it's you know the Fed funds rate at five and a quarter, the ten-year Treasury at almost five percent, or mortgage rates at eight uh, percent, the more impact there will be across. So the economy. according to that Morgan Stanley econ- economist that was on Odd Lots, their their base case is that the ten-year Treasury rates come down to three point nine percent by the middle of next year, which would be it's a pretty big. Be a pretty big move, and if that's the case, obviously bond prices would go up significantly. Um, they don't know anything. I mean, like we talked about last week, how Morgan, how uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Goldman, Goldman Sachs, Sachs was saying, yeah. has been updating their uh, their uh, uh, forecasts as they go because rates have have basically blown out everybody's expectation, really. Um, but anyway, according to Morgan Stanley, they think they think that Treasury rates are going to come down, which then it would be get lower mortgage rates, and that would be some. Um, that would lead to stability in the market, um, and if they see if there's a uh, increase in supply, supply is really going to be the major drivers in terms of um, in terms of the the price of homes. If there's supply and growth in supply, that would beget a decrease in home prices. Um, if there's no increase in sales, um, so it's all logical. Um, interestingly enough, um, the uh, the so there, we talked about framing last week and. And you, uh, Morgan Hazel posted something about how uh, uh, this there would be a blow to dialysis firms uh, because of uh, Ozempic. Um, the same, yeah. I, I thought of that earlier uh, this week when, or it was at the end of last week, maybe, or no, it was earlier this week when retail and food services seasonally adjusted sales came out. And basically, it showed that the US consumer is spending money like they have historically done. Um, and that, that basically resulted in market choppiness. But what Sam Rowe posted is he, he said, I'm starting to think job openings, job creation, low layoffs, low jobless ca- claims, high bank balances, rising net worth, CapEx spending, all this stuff might actually be bullish. <laughs> right. Well, there was for uh, 2020 and 2021, it was the the adage that bad news is good news simply because the Fed, the Fed fiscal and monetary policy was supportive of the economy during COVID. And so when there was good economic news, 
then prices would fall because then there would be less government support through quantitative easing or low interest rates. Um, so I think I think Sam's right. Maybe the narrative is changing that good news is good and bad news is bad. Yeah. And speaking of Ozempic, I mean, uh, this is a chart uh, that we're going to post to uh, the show notes, but it shows the average calories per day across different geographic regions. And I'll start from from uh, lowest to smallest or lowest to biggest. Um, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, um, twenty five hundred calories a day. Japan, 2,700 calories a day, Europe, 33.88 per day, and the United States at 38.68 a day per adult. Um, so maybe Ozempic could be a benefit to the, um, the U.S. population because we are, we're eating like 50% more calories than some of these places. It's pretty crazy to think about. Well, yeah. I mean, look at, look at, the, look at our population versus a lot of the, you know, Northern European populations where they're, you know, skinny. Right. They walk around Walmart uh, for a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, also, as far as good news is bad news and bad news is good news. In, in uh, August of 2020, Exxon was removed from the Dow Jones industrial average and replaced with Salesforce. So this is just, you know, seemingly horrible news. The death of oil, August 31st, 2020. Since then, Exxon is up 208%. Salesforce is down 24%. Yeah, so it's it's wild. And, and the, same, the same thing can happen. And a lot of times when you fade or go opposite or inverse this sort of crowd, like in that point in time, the, the new wave was technology and oil was dying. People weren't going to use oil. Um, that's usually, not usually, but can be a positive indicator for returns or whatever. Um this it's been a choppy market, um, like we had talked about uh, at the outset of the, of the podcast. Um, but I wanted to uh, reiterate a quote that Nick Majuli posted, um, and and close it out with that. Doug, a mariner does not become skilled by always sailing on a calm sea, and that was Herbert J. Grant. Um, so it's been a choppy ride, um, but no, there is some normal choppiness in the markets, and that's just the the way of. Uh, way things go and that's life in general but it's also what what happens in the markets um so with that we'll, we'll close down the podcast uh greg and doug stokes with land yap um if you enjoyed this please share it with your friends and family uh, give us a five-star review and otherwise we'll see you guys next week thanks for listening to this episode of land yap this podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.